Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This is the word of the Lord. Next, immediately following the election, huh? (laughs) I'd like to say I carefully planned that out all the way back in August, but I didn't. Um, When I put together the series, it did land on this day, but it didn't occur to me until about a month and a half ago what we were about to encounter. So here we go. (laughs) Um, We're actually in the middle of a three-part series on surrender as a gift, Um, The first one was last week, and that was surrender to God. Uh, That came from Romans 12, to give yourself up. It's a living sacrifice. This week, the focus is surrender to authority, and next week, the focus will be surrender to others. Um, So that just gives you an idea. But it is ironic. Here we are a couple of days after the election, and we're talking about authority and those who are appointed as God's agents. So I'm, I'm looking out at this congregation, and I'm thinking to myself, well... If we represent the United States of America, we're probably about 50-50 split on this issue of the presidential election. In this congregation, maybe not. Maybe there's some other kind of split. I don't want to know what it is. I'm just sure that there's a bunch of you who are happy, and there's a bunch of you who are thinking about moving to another country, right? Um, It kind of goes both ways. My wife and I are uh, leaving for England at the end of the year, um, but we've talked about this. We plan to come back, so uh, not to worry. Uh, But no matter, it it does divide us, doesn't it? And here we are looking at issues um, related to authority. So, what about this passage? Um, First of all, let's be really concise about it, okay? Just straight to the point and repeat what it says. And here's what it says. Paul says, all, if I was typing this out with my computer, I would put bold on all and I would underline it. All authority is established by God. Really? That's what you're thinking, isn't it? You're saying to yourself, all authority? You're asking the question about whether or not God appointed as an authority Adolf Hitler over the Third Reich in Germany in the 1940s. You're asking yourself whether or not God could establish as an authority a person who was a tyrannical dictator 
who placed genocide upon his people? Good question. Second statement. Rebellion, says Paul, against authority is rebellion against God. You're thinking to yourself, always? You're saying to yourself, what about people who rebel against a dictator who is promulgating genocide, annihilating a group of people in his nation? To rebel against him is to rebel against God. You may know the story of Corey Ten Boom. Some of you don't, but Corey Ten Boom came from a family of devoted Christ followers in Germany. And during the Third Reich, they spent their time bringing Jews who were fleeing persecution and imminent death into their home and, and feeding them, clothing them, and hiding them between the, beneath the slats of the floor in the basement to keep them away from the Nazis. Or you may be thinking to yourself something like Schindler's List. Or for those of you who like theology the way I do, you may be thinking to yourself Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was executed because he rebelled against the Third Reich. So to rebel against all authority is to rebel against God? Good question. You may also be asking yourself this. If authority is established for the purpose of punishing the wrongdoer, what about the authority which apparently is established by God because God establishes all authority that punishes the good doer? What about the authority that persecutes wantonly Christians and other religious minorities in a country? Is that, a that authority established for good? Good question. Or you may be saying to yourself, taxes, really, come on. Okay, you don't, you don't have to raise your hands. But you may be saying to yourself, seriously, taxes, really pay them? If you can wiggle out of them? If you're smart enough not to pay any? Paul says, pay your taxes. Why? Should I pay my taxes? Good question. In order to answer any of these questions, it's helpful to place these words in context, right? It's always true that to interpret, we must interpret in context. So let's do the context. Who is Paul speaking to? Into what conditions does he speak? He's speaking to a group of people who live under the rule the authority of Rome. He's also speaking to a group of people who knew their emperor by name. You know his name? Nero. Do you know what he did? Near the end of his life, at least, he lit human beings as torches. Christians by the way, to light the pathways of his garden. So Paul is speaking into that context when he says, all authority is established by God. 
Paul is also speaking into a context in which the person that he follows unequivocally to his death, Jesus Christ the Messiah, was executed by authorities, Jewish and Roman. He's speaking into a context where he himself had been repeatedly beaten by the authorities unjustly. He's speaking into a context where his apostle friends had routinely been beaten by authorities unjustly. He's speaking into a context that eventually will lead to the authorities executing him unjustly and executing probably every disciple except John unjustly. That's the context in which he says the ruling authority is established by God. Don't rebel against authority or you're rebelling against God. Pay your taxes. The authorities punish the wrongdoers. Follow them. Well, isn't that something, huh? Why would he say such a thing? Why into that persecuted context would he make these statements? Or let's put it a different way. How do we understand his words? First, let's say this. Since God established all authority, does it also mean that all authority is just? We could make that move, but I don't think we should. And there's reasons why we shouldn't. I'll just use Paul as an example himself. When Paul was uh, about to be released from prison in Philippi, you remember the story, he and Silas had preached the name of Jesus in this, this provincial sort of city. It was a huge city, a very important city of Philippi in the Roman Empire. And they preached Jesus. And the authorities arrested them and beat them within an inch of their life and threw them in jail. And in the middle of the night, while the jailer was waiting for the next morning, Paul and Silas sang praises to God. And an angel came and shook wide open the doors through an earthquake and everybody could have freely left. And Paul was standing at the entrance apparently of this dingy prison when the jailer rushed to the scene and was about to kill himself because that was, the, that was what you did when you lost your prisoners. You tried to kill yourself rather than letting the Roman officials do it for you. And Paul said, don't do it, don't do it. Don't harm yourself, we're all okay, we're all right here. None of us have left. Authority? Then the next day, when the officials realized that they'd thrown Paul and Silas, Roman citizens, into jail and beaten them and imprisoned them without a trial, they were terrified. And they came to Paul and they said, Sir, just get out of town. You're free to go. And Paul said, not so fast. We came in here and you unjustly beat us and threw us into prison. And he said, now 
you're going to escort us out of town. Unjust punishment from an unjust authoritarian government. Paul said, I want you to be held to justice. Or how about another time? Paul actually is uh, about to be beaten probably for at least the third time. And on this particular occasion near the book of Acts, he stops them right before they're getting ready to bring down the whip. And he says, whoa, got a question. Is it lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen without a trial? The guy who was about to do this just was shaken all over. Because he knew the trouble he would be in for doing that. Paul intercepted unjust authority at that point. And they didn't beat him. But you know, eventually, the same unjust authority had him executed. So since God establishes all authority, does that mean that all punishment is just? No. As a matter of fact, you can call unjust punishers to justice. Or how about this? Paying taxes. Pay taxes, says Paul. Don't riot. Don't foment rebellion of any sort. Because the authorities are established by God. Let's remember something. The Roman Empire could not have been further away from the kingdom of God than it was. It couldn't have been. Or to put it another way, the Roman authorities were far further away from the kingdom of God and Christian ethics than any authority in this country. Far further away from the kingdom of God. But into that context, Paul says, I want you to pay your taxes. Matter of fact, Jesus said the same thing when the Pharisees asked him about it. Can you imagine that all the taxes that the Romans collected were used justly and righteously and for good causes? I would imagine not. But still, Paul says, pay your taxes. He also says, don't foment rebellion, basically. Well, since this is already a thorny topic, let me make it a little bit more of a sticky wicket, and it will sound very un-American of me. But had the Apostle Paul been around in this country somewhere about 1774, 75, 76, the Apostle Paul, so far as I can understand, would not have been on the side of what we now call America. I think, according to what he says, he would have suggested no revolution. It's interesting how God works, isn't it? The scripture says on other occasions that God actually uses the wrath of men to praise him, which, let me put it in sort of more contemporary layman language, he uses our own stupidity and selfishness and sinfulness to promote his goodwill. And he uses rebellion on occasion to advance his purposes 
But Paul says, you're not supposed to rebel. As a matter of fact, if you want to know what this uh, should look like, according to Paul, you can do no better than to look at first century Christianity. First century Christians did not rebel against Rome. First century Christians did not create riots. First century Christians did their best to win the hearts of individuals to the kingdom of God, namely Jesus Christ. And eventually, eventually, those people whose hearts were aligned with the kingdom of God became rulers in the Roman Empire. And change happened. Not all good, but change happened without revolution. So Paul says, I want you to acknowledge that all authority is established by God. I want you to pay taxes. I don't want you to start revolutions. Now back to the questions. Are those categorical statements with no exception? This is where we always get in trouble. When we take statements to be categorical without exception. And we don't interpret statements on the basis of other larger statements. So let me tell you, according to the scripture, as I understand it, there are at least three times where resisting or disobeying authority is called for or described as a good by God. The first time is when the authority requires you to do something that's against God's command. We have multiple examples of this in Scripture, but one of them you might remember the best is when early in the book of Acts, the authorities called Peter and John and other disciples in and they said, look, this whole thing about Jesus, that's okay for you, but not for the public. What we want you to do is go home and be peaceful and don't talk about this Jesus. Stop preaching in his name and everything will be all right. They beat him and let him go home but before they went home, Peter said to them, we can't do it. Why? Because we have to obey God rather than you. So we're telling you, as you let us go, we're going to keep doing what you commanded us not to do. So it is proper to resist authority when it requires us to do something God commands us not to do. It's also proper to resist authority when authority commands us to do something immoral or sinful. Or to put it another way, in bold relief, if the authorities ask you to murder, if the authorities ask you to be involved in genocide, if the authorities ask you to do that, you have the right, according to my interpretation of the Word of God, to say, no, I cannot. Because God commands me not to do those kinds of things. So I must resist you. A third uh, place where authority can be resisted, according to the Scripture and Christian ethics, and this one is, is just really elusive. It kind of makes me a little nervous to even say it. Because we can do with it whatever we want. You'll see what I mean. It's okay to resist authority based upon 
personal Christian ethics or conscience. Fortunately, in this country, our laws allow for you, if you're a Christ follower or even if you're not, to say to the government, I am a pacifist. I cannot, under any circumstance, be a part of an execution. I cannot go to war. I cannot do harm to another human being. It's against my moral ethic. That is a rich tradition in the history of the church. Not everybody embraces that ethic, but many people do. And if you embrace that ethic, if you think that in the words of Jesus, when he says, turn the other cheek, put on any kind of activity that helps the other who's your enemy, give him your coat, do whatever he asks of you. If you believe that that is a pacifist ethic for you as it relates to living your life in a governmental authority structure, that conscience between you and God, that conscience allows you to resist authority, according to the scripture. Well, isn't this interesting? Um, let's conclude by asking a question about what Christian citizenship should look like. What should it look like? I have two comments, which are extra biblical comments before I get to the biblical ones, okay? I want to make that clear. The first is a personal comment. The second is a historical comment. It's not out of the text. The first comment, I believe, for Christian citizenship, we ought to resist the urge to describe our party affiliation as more Christian than the other. Or to put it another way, it seems to me that both parties are equally secular and non-Christian. And both parties have embedded in their platforms things that are anti-Christian. That's my conviction. And I think it does us no good to delineate based on party affiliation, Christian or non-Christian, or slightly Christian and more Christian. Have at my personal comments, send me emails, that's fine. But I felt like I should say it. That's the personal comment. The historical comment is this. The worst times in church history for the church have been the times where Christians were most involved in government. That's when the church routinely lost its witness. That's when the church was routinely hijacked by the authorities. That's when the church of Jesus Christ was no longer the kingdom of God on earth, but was somehow incorporated into the secular body of governmental authority. That is the worst episodes in the history of the church. 
Now, that, I would suggest, of course, is open for debate. I'm not interested in debating the first, which is my personal statement about party affiliations, but if you want to debate me on that one, let's do it. Because I think it's unequivocally clear. So now, back to the text. Aren't you glad we're going back there just for a minute? <laughs> Here's what good citizenship looks like according to Paul. It means obey the authorities. Because authority is established by God. He doesn't mean that every decision of authority is a proper decision. But he does mean that authority itself is established by God. We must have it. We must have order and peace. And we must obey the authorities in order to have a civilized, peaceful world. So, obey those authorities. And don't riot. And don't rebel. Second thing about good citizenship, according to Paul, is that you should pay your taxes. You should pay your taxes, even if you hate what the government does with your taxes. You should pay your taxes, even if you think what the government does with your taxes is unethical and immoral. You should pay your taxes. Why do I say that? Because, again, the Roman Empire which was much further out the circle, outside the circle of Christian ethics, was the very empire that both Jesus and Paul said unequivocally, pay your taxes. Do you think they were doing everything with their taxes that Paul and Jesus would approve of? Absolutely not. And still they said, pay your taxes. Or to put it another way, don't try to get away with it. Pay them. Honestly, how many of us, this is just a really pointed, intended to be uncomfortable question, how many of us are doing our best and right on the edge of unethical or unlawful practices to avoid taxes? I do believe if Paul were here, he'd say, stop it, pay your taxes. Third, being a good citizen, according to Paul and the rest of the scripture, is to pray for your leaders. You know, sometimes that's hard to do, isn't it? Especially when you're angry. Your prayers might be some form of anathema. But that's not what Paul calls for. It's not what the scripture calls for. Scripture calls for us to pray for our leaders because they are placed in position of authority by God. And here's the underlying assumption. That as we pray for our leaders, as wisdom literature in the Bible says, God will take the heart of the king and place it in his hand and direct it as he would a watercourse or a river. God, help those leaders, hearts to be in your hands. Even if they don't know it, even if they don't know you, God, accomplish your purpose through those that we call our authorities. 
You know, um, this whole notion that we're talking about here forces us to rely on the sovereignty of God completely. It forces us to remind ourselves, no matter where we are on the political spectrum and no matter who's in office, that God will act according to God's will. And that authorities are established by God. You know what that means? It means for eight years of the Obama administration, God appointed him to be the authority. You know what else it means? It means that God appointed President-elect Donald Trump to be the authority for the next four years. And my friends, I don't understand either one of those. But I trust that God does. And I trust that somehow he shapes the affairs of humanity according to his will. I don't have to choose the guy. God does. There's something else besides sovereignty that all of this assumes. And it's this. It assumes that we have got to hold fast to this reality. We live in a different kingdom. Our kingdom is not of this world. And if you're a Christ follower, you're living in a parallel kingdom right alongside this one. And God is ultimately going to accomplish his will. So take a deep breath. I'm talking to myself too. Our times are in God's hands. God will accomplish his will. We need to obey the authorities and pray for them and pray that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom of your word. Um, and my, sometimes we really need it. Matter of fact, when we um, think we don't need it, it's probably the most dangerous time. When we think we have it figured out, we're the most dangerous to ourselves and others. And so on the occasions where we uh, realize that we need your wisdom, um, we're closest to your heart. So give us uh, your wisdom as we think about ourselves as citizens of another kingdom in this present world and what that looks like and how it's a challenge and how it's a blessing. Because we know that above all, you are King of kings and Lord of lords and you will accomplish your will. And for whatever reason, you choose to do it through us. And for that, we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. You know, one of the things that uh, preachers sometimes have a hard time remembering is when they used an illustration, you know, a uh, story. Um, and in this case, sometimes I can't remember if I told stories of the first service or the second service or both. Uh, but if you heard this, I already laugh really big because it's funny. Um, little kid came to me a uh, little while back uh, before we were really close to the election and said to me, he said, hey, pastor, I got a riddle for you. Have I told you this? said, uh, here's the riddle said um, there was an airplane and on the airplane was uh, Hillary Clinton 
and Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, and it crashed and everybody was killed. Who was saved? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, America. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> the, but, <laughs> It's kind of a, an awkward way to say this. Hey, it's all in God's hands, okay? Wherever you are, no matter which side of the aisle you're on, uh, we're in God's hands and we're just fine. And these uh, words from Psalm 67 seem especially true because it tells us what our role is in this world. And it starts this way. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Why? So that your ways, O oh God, may be known on the earth, and your salvation among all the nations. God bless you, and go in peace.